Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I have got a bunch of different stories to bring up in this episode. Um, some of them are jab-related, as we know, given the approval now for six months and older to receive these shots. I've got a little audio from Rochelle Walensky, who should be hung by the neck until dead. But uh, I've got her excitingly describing this new jab rollout for young children, which is going to kill them uh, and sterilize them even if they live long enough to reproduce, which they won't, which is remarkably terrible. And um, I've just got, a, I just got a lot of different stuff to bring up here. Um, and I want to start with this. First of all, last week, Dr. Simone Gold was sentenced to jail, I want to say, whatever it was, 60 days, two months, something like that, along with a fine and then uh, probation for two years or something along those lines for, for being inside of the Capitol on January 6th and, and giving her speech that apparently she was supposed to give outside on top of another stage, but then the stage got taken down after Trump's speech and then whatever, she decided to go into the building where people were running in and breaking breaking down the windows and doing what they were doing. Um, I'm going to start off by saying this before I get into Simone Gold. And I, I think I brought this up in the past, but I just want to revisit this briefly. I was watching the January 6th thing live as it was all happening. I was watching Portland Andy on YouTube. And this is a guy who, again, streams multiple other people all at the same time while he's reading a chat list and doing whatever he's doing. And he had at least four screens up at the same time showing different events and different angles of what was going on on January 6th. It was beyond evident to me that it was a false flag. It was beyond evident that the entire thing was a giant setup. You had people who were clearly Antifa running around doing what they were doing. Full black, masks, glasses covering their faces, helmets, the whole thing. We all know that the January 6th thing has been blown out of proportion. And again, given the, the nonsense committee that's taking place now is all a giant political show. Um, th these individuals that are in prison and have been since... After that day in 2000, uh, 2021, apparently remain inside of a D.C. prison, allegedly. Again, I, I have no reason to believe that it's not happening, although who's to, who's to really know? Because, um, again, I'm not there. I can't see it. And if I can't see it and, we're, and I'm not being shown a bunch of footage, then, you know, it's just, it's just people talking about it from time to time. So I'm not saying it's not happening, but. You get what I'm saying. I hope, anyway. Uh, it it was just beyond evident to me that it was it was a setup, and why someone would want to enter an environment like that that's clearly a setup, and was even being talked about as being a setup the night before, on January fifth. I, I I don't understand. So, let me get into Simone Gold very very quickly here again. Because again, I've brought her up in the past. I brought her up uh, a, a year or so ago. I went and saw her speak in Cincinnati 
and then again in San Antonio at the second annual White Coat Summit of theirs, where I was remarkably disappointed in what I was seeing and what I was hearing and the behavior of both her and, and her handlers and, and other people. I don't want to entirely revisit that San Antonio episode, but I'll, I'll simply say this. Simone Gold was never really awake. She never really understood the depth of, of what was going on regarding all of this. Her soapbox had to do with medical freedom, and rightfully so, that, that you shouldn't be able to coerce people into taking these shots, that that's illegal, there's no FDA approval, and coercing people is clearly a bad thing. I agree with her on that. I disagree with her on probably 90% of her approach on what she was doing because it was beyond evident to me. Again, I'm, I'm just one person. I was just objectively sitting there watching her and the people around her and, and whatever else, that she was in this for other reasons, that she was either in this for attention or money or donations or whatever it may be. That's, that's 100% legit. Which, by the way, there's no way that she alone, because she didn't do it, she didn't set up the America's Frontline Doctors website. Someone else did that. Other people, other tech directors did that. Um, other individuals, other doctors signed off on the prescriptions that, that you could get signed off on in order to receive ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and all of that stuff via telemedicine, which was great. Was that her idea? No. That's something that's existed for a long time, but long before her. Telemedicine isn't necessarily a new thing. People can get medicine delivered to their home all of the time, but she became and sort of pushed herself to the forefront, visually speaking, of that entire message, which again was okay, except for the fact, again, that it's evident she has handlers. She has people around her, and she's either in on it or she's allowing these people to make these decisions for her. But who, who would be standing on the outside of the Capitol building on January 6th with people rushing in, and you would think to yourself, you know what, I need to go in there and give a speech and have somebody record it, and then we'll post it online, and then... You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get more attention that way. And what, I mean, who, who would do that if you're not in it for attention? So my, my point with Simone Gold is this. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, she served her purpose. She was kind of a one-trick pony. Her, her, her influence and time has passed now. She's now trying to profit. It's evident, too, because I received those frontline doctor's emails. After her sentencing, an email went out to the people and to everybody who, you know, subscribed to the America's Frontline Doctors website. And uh, you, you received this email and, and she was asking for more don donations. And she was saying that, again, the, her, her legal defense had nothing to do with donations she was receiving from America's Frontline Doctors. But if you could donate $50, $75, $100, dollars whatever else, we'll keep America's Frontline Doctors going and blah, blah, blah. We don't need America's frontline doctors anymore. I, th I think that's my ultimate point. We don't need them anymore. They, they've, 
They've outstayed their usefulness. The milk has gone bad. We get it now. And it was evident in San Antonio that Dr. Lee Merritt was the one who knew more about what was going on on a global and depopulation agenda standpoint than anybody else in the room. And she was there to talk about the military aspect and, again, how this was impacting those that were enlisted in the military with, again, the not just the shots, but all of the, the waivers and the exemptions and X, Y, Z. And I remember, again, thinking to myself in San Antonio, watching these individuals, that they're in this for a lot of promotional reasons. There was dancing and singing, as I, as I brought up in that episode from, uh, from last July. And um, it, it, it was just not, it was not what I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to be hearing from people who were ahead of the curve. And I was sitting there saying to myself, and I actually couldn't believe it, but I thought to myself, I know more about this than these people do. I know more about what's going on with this. I know about the bigger agenda, and they don't seem to know that. They seem to be perplexed that all of this is happening, and that it seemed unfair, and that it seemed illegal. And of course, they have lawyers around, and you know they had other medical doctors there, like Ryan Cole and a bunch of other people. But you know, I, I just don't know who would be standing outside of the January 6th Capitol building, look at that scene and say, you know what, I need to get in there and give a speech. That right there should, should prove to people that Simone Gold knows nothing about false flags. She doesn't know anything about hoaxes. She doesn't know anything about Antifa. She doesn't know anything about any of that stuff. I mean, she's dead asleep on those issues, but felt the need to put herself in the center which from my perspective, I asked the question, well, then who is around her telling her this is a good idea? Is she that dumb that she's making these bad decisions on her own or is she being, you know, pushed in that direction? So that's my, that's my whole take. And again, I had a one-on-one -on -one, uh, interaction with her that was odd. I mean, she completely ignored me. You know, I was a foot away from her saying her name, trying to hand her one of my books for free, while, of course, she was giving, she was selling her own book uh, for $100 a piece with her autograph on the inside. And then again, saying she's not in this for the money. That does not equate. Who sells a book for $100 with her autograph on the inside? I don't, I don't get it. But either way, she's allegedly going to jail for being there. I think that whole thing is a giant witch hunt anyway. Does she belong in jail? No, she doesn't. She doesn't belong in jail. Um, because again, we see all the other people who are not in jail, who were clearly there. Like, again, the Antifa members and the Antifa members who were guests on CNN and XYZ and, you know, all of that stuff. But apparently when she was in court, Simone Gold, she decided to apologize. And she apologized for a number of different things. She basically said, you know, I'm not that kind of a person, and I, I deeply regret going in, and I shouldn't have done that, and, you know, I'm not associated with any kind of a group that was going in and, and whatever else she said. I mean, look, if you have convictions, you'd better stand by them. Unless, as I said on Gab, you have a spine made of jello. So which is it? You either, you either did it because you're morally sound and you have values and you thought you were doing the right thing, 
even if you're standing in front of a judge because the judge thinks that you've done something wrong, you tell the judge to go pound sand. And you say, I was doing the right thing. I didn't break the law. I wasn't disrupting anything. I didn't damage property. And I'm not going to apologize because I gave a speech that I was supposed to give outside, decided to give it inside. And that's just the way that it is. But she didn't do that. She immediately buckled. She immediately apologized in court in an effort to get a lower sentence. Probably she was probably told to do that by her lawyer, and she's a lawyer herself. But that right there, again, is not the American way, ladies and gentlemen. It just isn't. Again, I said this on Gab. Never apologize. Stand up for what you believe in. Liberty or death. That's it. That's the American way. It's not, I'll do this for promotional reasons. Oh, crap, I got caught. Um, I, uh, well, I better get a lawyer. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean anything by it. I'm not really that kind of a person, and I don't believe in whatever else was going on on that day. That's, not, that's please, that's weak. That's Bush League stuff. That's weak. Our country wasn't built with that kind of approach. You aren't going to hear that from the founding fathers. You weren't going to hear that from the soldiers on the battlefield fighting the British. You weren't going to hear any of that. She just, she just proved to everybody in one fell swoop that her spine is made of jello and that she's in it for promotional reasons until she finds her ass in jail. Well, you should have told the truth in court. It's that simple. They'd have said, oh, you don't apologize? Well, then we're going to give you four months. I'd have looked at the judge and said, give me six. Why not six months? And I'm not saying that to sound like a hard ass. I'm saying that because in her inaction, she showed that she has her own limit, that she has a limitation. And that's the problem. That's why, that's why the world that's being built right now has got to be built by people that will not apologize, will not surrender, will not back down, liberty or death. That's where this country has got to go. It has to be in that direction. The future of America doesn't need Simone Gold anymore, which by the way, America's frontline doctors, and I'm not the only one, I can't be, they owe me at least $59 and change as a result of a prescription that I could never get filled for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine because once I made the appointment to get the prescription, they never called me. They never emailed me. They never left a voice message, nothing. And then when I called their phone number about a week later, they said, oh, sorry, um, that, uh, that distribution center no longer distributes the, uh, distributes the drugs and they're no longer in business. And I said, well, do you have another phone number for me? And they said, no. Which means what? It means America's frontline doctors is taking money from people and not giving it back. They're writing prescriptions that, that can't ultimately be fulfilled. That's a problem. That's a big problem. I'm not going to see that money back. Doesn't matter how many emails I send. I've already done it. You know, no response. Weird. Not in it for the money. That's funny. Somebody's in it for the money. I, I you know, 
I, I don't know. Playing the constant victim, I think, from from the Simone Gold standpoint, is just out. It's out. Uh, yeah, the milk's gone bad. She, she's she's outstayed her usefulness. It's time to just go away now, and you know, leave the depopulation agenda to those of us who know what's going on, so that we can warn people about what's going on, and how to again ignore those systems and find alternative means to educate ourselves and find alternative means to medicate ourselves as holistically as we possibly can and um, avoid government at all costs. So that's my two cents on, that's my two cents on Simone Gold. Again, she doesn't belong in jail, but she shouldn't have been there in the first place. Uh, cause again, it had false flag written all over it. It was a giant honey trap and, and that's, that's about it. Okay. Speaking of this stuff about, again, not knowing the truth and having an opportunity and sort of swinging and missing, this is another sort of larger point here that, that I want to make, which it bothers me to no end because I don't think that we're really going to get to the stage that we need to get to in this life, maybe, certainly in my lifetime, where we're telling the truth all of the time. In particular, you know, on, the, on these televised things and these video clips that people see and respond to and, and whatever else. And here, here's what I mean. There was a clip that Laura Loomer put out there, and again, quick just brief history on Laura Loomer. Laura Loomer made herself famous by getting kicked off of Twitter. That's about it. She's written a book or two. Uh, I don't know where she came from. I don't know who funds her. I, I, you know, I don't know anything about her beyond that. It just seems a bit odd. And, you know, she, she became famous for getting kicked off of Twitter. I, I've never thought that was a resume item. I never thought it was a life accomplishment. I never, I never understood it. But when you talk a lot and you confront people and then you make getting kicked off of Twitter sort of your, your, the foundational reason for everything you do, um, that's, I mean, I don't know. That's basically just all that, all, all she does. It, it's all I can tell. Um, I know that she calls out rhinos as much as she can, which is great. I agree with, I agree with her on that. But she had one killer opportunity to drop a truth bomb on Val Demings, and she didn't do it. And I believe I'm saying her last name correctly, Val Demings, but she walked up to Val Demings, who's a, a, a black Democrat representative female from Florida, and she's a former sheriff, if I'm not mistaken, and she was also a part of the Trump impeachment. She was on the Democrat panel that was impeaching Donald Trump. And she did a terrible job, of course, because she's... She's not very articulate. Uh, she tries to be, and, and again, she doesn't make much sense. It's just very rambling and sort of unscripted when, when, when she's talking. And, and the audio clip is 100% accurate, but that I'm going to describe here. But Laura Loomer approached her, I assume somewhere in Florida, and decided to tell Val Demings and her entourage that uh, you know that she was going to be the next congresswoman in Florida in her district, and that she needs to not be a gun grabber and this, that, and the other. And out of nowhere, again, very just sort of NPC robot like, 
Val Demings just starts talking about the Uvalde shooting. And she starts saying, you know, those 19 babies, those 19 babies all got killed, those 19 kids and whatever else. If Laura Loomer knows that the Uvalde thing was a hoax and that no one died, she was given a golden opportunity to say it right then and there. But she didn't. Which again, I have lots of questions now. Does this mean that Laura Loomer believes that people actually died in Uvalde, Texas? Does this mean that Laura Loomer doesn't know that false flags are real and that these kinds of things, quote-unquote, mass shootings are hoaxes on a constant basis? Does she not know this? Or, I'd even go further and say this could be worse. Does she know it was fake and she said nothing about it because she's afraid of losing votes? Because she's afraid of criticism or being called a conspiracy theorist or all the other derogatory names that people use when they don't know what's really going on. And they just say these things to just be dismissive. So again, does, does Laura Loomer know what's going on or does she not? Because she's all over Gab. And she's constantly promoting herself on Gab. You know, and, and I'm running for Congress and I have this endorsement and that endorsement and blah, blah, blah. You were given the ultimate opportunity there to, to investigate Uvalde. And I didn't spend a ton of time investigating it. It was blatantly obvious to me it was fake. Um, of course, I created a couple of videos about it and then talked about it on the podcast while, while making direct references to actual happenings and, of course, the contradictions and everything, as I'm sure you heard. But does she not have the effort to even look into something like that on her own? Or again, does she believe it uh, and, and then just operate as if everything on television is, is 100% real? Or again, does she, does she not want to even question it because she's afraid of losing votes? My point is, is that in that audio clip that she decided to take again of herself confronting Val Demings, all she had to do was say, Uvalde was a hoax, nobody died. That's all she had to say. And then that would have elicited more of a response from Val instead of Val just being repetitive and then walking away. I mean, she's a lunatic. She openly engaged, Val Demings openly engaged in sedition against a sitting president. She should be hung by the neck until dead. She should be executed. I, I think that's the penalty for sedition, or it's certainly jail, jail for a lifetime, something along those lines. But it's that kind of stuff that if people have the opportunity to tell the truth, they have got to do it all of the time. Because if they don't, and they just confront people with their own perceptions of what they think happened, what they're actually doing is exposing themselves to countless more knowledgeable people that they don't know what they're talking about. And that's a problem. That's a, that's, a, that's a real big problem. Because again, for Laura Loomer to not know it was a hoax, that would imply that she's not thinking for herself. That would imply that she's not awake. That would imply that she still believes her television. And it would imply that if she thinks it's real, then she believes Joe Biden. And she believes Val Demings. And she believes every person who, who, who openly says that it was real and those, 
those 19 babies are dead and all this other stuff. I just have, I have a problem with people who don't think for themselves and look into things for themselves to their logical conclusion. And then, um, and, and then operate accordingly and truthfully and honestly within, within that realm. You know, take the Columbine shooting, for example. I, I don't know that that happened. I really don't know. There was a time in my life where I thought it was real, but I'll be honest, I just don't know. I have not done a real deep dive to arrive at the, at the logical truth as to what was really going on in that entire episode. I, I don't know. I remember some of the footage. I remember some of the, um, you know, the, the the interviews of students after the fact and the audio clips and whatever. And I I just don't know. But that was so long ago that it, that at this point I, I I know where I sit on these school shootings. They're either obviously real or they're obviously fake. And the more you're shown about what's really going on right up front, like the Ethan Crumbly thing the more likely it is that it's real when, when things are being hidden from you. It's, it's usually fake, which is, of course, exactly what's happening in the Uvalde thing right now. One of the things, of course, that's happening here is now the police forces in Uvalde, Texas. I'm shifting gears now to Uvalde just briefly, but I'm going to come back to this overall, um, you know, overarching theme here of of what happens when we just don't tell the truth when we can clearly see what the truth is in Uvalde now you've got these police forces that are that are lawyering up and saying that we're not going to release the uh the the video footage and there are you know from the from the chest cameras from the body cameras of the police officers well why not what do you have to hide and in typical fashion their excuse is that they don't want future criminals to see this footage because they're afraid that it's going to teach them something about how to how to conduct a school shooting please i mean it's 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 beyond embarrassing that that would be the the stereotypical cliche line that they would use because that's you know it's it's too simple an explanation well we don't want to you know we don't want to give people the the wrong idea well, the wrong idea that they don't want to give is that nothing happened because nothing is on those cameras. In fact, if those cameras were rolling like the other cam- cameras were rolling, the closer you are to the actual school itself, you're going to hear these people talking about how it's a drill and how it didn't happen in XYZ. Guaranteed. Not to mention, you're not going to see a single bullet casing. You won't see a single bullet hole. You'll just see a bunch of people running around. You won't see any dead bodies. There won't be any blood. That's why they're hiding all of the video footage. All the, ca- all the police body cam footage isn't going to be seen unless it's all of a sudden manufactured, unless, it's, you know, unless they create, recreate some kind of a fake scene and then on television tell people that this was, in fact, um, you know, a shooting and, and clearly here's all the evidence. You know, people always say the, you know, the free state of Texas and the, the great state of Texas and this, that, and the other. Texas is more corrupt than, than we can possibly imagine. Same thing with Florida. Oh, the free state of Florida, no mandates, nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, it's still Florida. 
it's still Florida. It's still a peninsula. You still have a ton of drugs. You still have a ton of crime, a ton of illegal aliens. And all that's happening in Texas is they're just moving them around to different country or different states and different cities all across the United States. Greg Abbott should be sending them back, but he's not. The Uvalde thing is getting stale and it's getting worse because more and more people are still asking questions, but not in the mainstream media much, you know, certainly not much anymore. Again, this particular story here comes from Vice. Now, I know Vice is, is garbage, but it's titled Uvalde Contacts or Contracts, a private firm to argue that it doesn't have to release school shooting public records. That's because there's nothing to release. They have nothing. If they were to release something, it would be fabricated. And if it's fabricated, it's going to be easily seen that it's fabricated. My overarching point, and I'm going to end with this story, just again, shifting gears from Uvalde to this. Joe Biden on his bicycle. Here's how this all ties together. I'm not kidding. It, it really does. Joe Biden on his bicycle. When I first saw that footage on Gateway Pundit of Joe Biden on his bicycle stopping and then falling over. Immediately, I'm not looking at Joe Biden initially. I'm looking at his wife and the people around him as he's coming around that sort of, you know, that bike path. And he's about to turn right onto, onto a road because his wife turned right immediately. And all of the other, and they're not, they're, it's not Secret Service watching him. It's other people. It's, it's clearly, um, and this has been exposed and, and shown, it's like U.S. Marshals are watching this guy, which is odd. But I immediately thought to myself, why, why, why did Joe Biden not turn right with his wife? He was biking right next to his wife. They were all turning right, and Joe Biden just keeps going straight. That seems weird. And then I immediately looked at Joe Biden's head and his face. And I said, what is he looking at? Because his face is dead ahead. He, again, he's not looking to the right to turn right on a bicycle. He's going dead straight, but he's, he's fixated on something. There's something that he's looking at. There's something that he's watching, and he's heading right for it. Almost like he's, he's going to cross a finish line, and he's looking right at this dot on the other end of the finish line. And then, of course, he stops, and he's staring dead ahead. And then he tips over, and then he gets up, and then he walks ahead, and he bends down, and he starts creeping on a little girl. And I thought to myself, that's it. That Joe Biden saw that little girl the second he made his way around that tree bike path and started biking dead ahead. He locked in on that little girl, and he went straight ahead, and he went right for her. Ladies and gentlemen, he's a pedophile. He immediately blocked out everything around him. The simple fact that he had one direction to go in, which was turn right with his wife and everybody else, and he didn't. He focused straight in on this little girl, wrecks his bike, tips over, staring at this little girl, trying to get off of his bike so he can go and do God knows what to her because her parents or grandparents or whoever were dangling, out, dangling her out there like bait. 
and uh, and, and then he again gets up and, and starts creeping on her. And, and that was it. Here's why I bring this up. I saw that in the video immediately, the first time, the very first time I saw the video. But no one else was discussing this in, in the quote-unquote you know, alternative media or new, me- new media. Disclosed TV just said, oh, you know, he fell over on his bike. And then people on Twitter were like, oh, I just fell over on his bike. That's hilarious. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, I know he fell over on his bike. Now, let's start looking for things as to why. And let's start looking into things as to what exactly was he, was he fixated on and what was he focused on? Because it was, he so aimlessly just sort of like, again, biked across the street. And then it initially looked like he even like ran his bike randomly into people, which of course didn't happen. And then of course, people went down the, down the line and said, well, he's, he's riding one of those bikes that has like the pedal covers on it and his foot got stuck in the pedal cover and he didn't take his foot off, which is why he fell over. All of this is insignificant, but what's not insignificant is this larger point that I'm, I'm trying to mention here, which is that there's more to what we see than what meets the eye initially. Joe Biden's a pedophile. He makes beelines for little boys and little girls all of the time. Even Dr. Mark McDonald, I believe, was one of many individuals who, who have clinically examined his behavior around children and openly said, this guy's a pedophile. He has the behaviors of a pedophile. No one touches children like this and isn't a pedophile or has sort of a attraction to children in a very unhealthy, unnatural way, rubbing their face, rubbing their shoulders, petting their chest, you name it, regardless of the age. But he probably thinks the younger they are, the more he can get away with it because he's a pedophile. And there are endless videos again out there on YouTube and BitChute breaking, breaking this behavior down. It's beyond obvious. So here's the thing. Again, I, I, I initially made the video, took a screenshot of it, threw it up on my BitChute channel, and I titled it, He's Perving on a Kid. That's why he wrecked his bike. He wrecked his bike initially because he, he went away from the crowd. He went away from the, from the direction he was supposed to be biking in, and he just honed in like a tractor beam uh you know on on this on this little girl and and that was it again because he's a pedophile but people weren't commenting on that which was odd people in the mainstream weren't weren't commenting on it until finally gateway pundit after like three stories of him wrecking his bike finally said oh and he finally gets up off his bike and decides to go over and and be weird with a kid he was, he was going to be weird with a kid the second he came off of that bike path and went across that street. He knew exactly what he was going to do because he's a pedophile. So my point is this. We have to be able to see what the real bigger picture is. Each and every time, with all these video clips and all of these uh, you know, images that we're seeing and all these confrontations and, and XYZ, it uh it could it could be more useful and people could spend a little more time doing more high intellect analysis of what's actually going on with these particular things again there there's another you know there, there's a guy out there and I don't know if I've commented on him before but his name is Alex Stein 
uh, he, you know, he lives in Texas. He's got a sense of humor. Um, he's been on Infowars, I think, a couple of times, even co-hosted. I think he's loud and obnoxious. And now he's basically just doing this thing where he's running around and he's confronting people and just yelling at them. So he found Dan, Dan Crenshaw in an, air, in an airport. I hate Dan Crenshaw. Uh, Dan Crenshaw is a globalist and uh, he's a criminal. Um, he, he's the worst of the worst. But he's just yelling at him, calling him one eye McCain or something like that. You know, th- that, that may be helpful to some people, but ask him a real question. Ask him something that would expose him instead of just basic name calling. Because again, you have an opportunity there, just like Laura Loomer had with Val Demings. You had an opportunity to expose the truth on a video to a Washington, D.C. politician, and you didn't really do it. You, you didn't go for the gusto, so to speak. You, I mean, you didn't swing for the fences. You could have, but you didn't. It's just name calling and, you know, I'm just going to get louder than you and threaten you and whatever else. You know, drop some truth on them. Because you're not the only one who's going to watch that clip, and you're not the only one who's going to listen to that clip. I don't know. That's that's my two cents on the whole thing. Uh, I, I wish more people saw what is what is blatantly obvious the first time. And then, as I said with the Joe Biden thing on Gab, watch the video as many times as you have to to see what he's really doing. Because again, he's really going for a kid. Because he's a pedophile. So, you know, it wasn't just, oh, there's crazy Joe again. No, the kid's going, he, I mean, he's going after a child because he's a predator. He's molested his own children, for God's sakes. This is proven fact. They've spoken about it. They've written about it. His own kids have. This is a fact. Not to mention he's a murderer. He had his first wife killed. And his, and his youngest daughter happened to be in the car with his first wife, and they both died. So, there you go. I, I just wish that more people would see it at face, you know, not, not at face value per se, but, but just see it more accurately the first time. And, uh, and even watch it again and again and again if they have to, and just examine the information that's in front of their face instead of, again, just believing the mainstream narrative. Oh, poor Uncle Joe can't ride a bike. You know, let's make a t-shirt about how he fell over on a bike and let's make a meme about how this is just like America, you know, tipping over just like Joe on a bike. He's a pedophile and he was making his way toward a child because he's a pedophile. So there you go. Speaking of pedophiles, I'm sorry that uh, I'm on this train here, but sex crimes are massive, as as I've brought brought up on this podcast on numerous occasions, and will continue to bring up, in particular in American schools. And this was sent to me by a previous guest of the show, AJ Gochik, our uh, our our favorite California lawyer, and he sent me this, and I want to read this to you, and then I want to read this particular article, because what's interesting is the old Me Too movement, ladies and gentlemen, is continuing to ensnare teachers who are still teachers and are um, being caught by their previous students decades after their crimes of a sexual nature here. 
So he wrote this to me. He said, Dear Sean, hope all is doing uh, hope you're doing well. I'm fine enjoying listening to all your podcasts. You nailed Uvalde spot on. I wanted to pass along this story, link below, about a PE teacher in Palo Alto arrested for an alleged sexual assault committed over 20 years ago. I have no idea whether or not the assault charge is legitimate or why the alleged victim spoke out at this late time. The PE teacher is not running for office or nominated as a judge, a la Kavanaugh. But I will share one personal anecdote about this PE teacher named Columbo. Both my kids had him as a PE teacher at the middle school. It was near the end of the 2020-2021 school year, a month after school reopened with mask mandates in place. My daughter personally witnessed the following. A boy was walking with his mask below his nose, and Columbo, who was not wearing a mask, he claimed to have an exemption, yelled at the kid to raise his mask all the way over his nose and made the kid go into a private room with him to further scold the kid and who knows what. The kid came out of the room shortly after, shaken with his mask all the way over his nose. My reaction? What an asshole. It's, it's bad enough to force masks on students, worse to enforce it for wearing it disobediently, quote-unquote, and total jerk teacher for doing so while not wearing a mask yourself. I thought to myself, if I ever see him in person, I'll bring up that incident and let him have it and teach him a lesson to never, ever do that again to a student. I hated Columbo after hearing about the incident. Definition of a rules for thee, but not for me, mask hole. And then he said, oh, and he's a typical liber liberal Democrat like every other public school teacher in Palo Alto. So if any good comes out of it, a libtard went to jail, AJ. And then uh, AJ wrote me this. He said, I forwarded this to you also because I wanted, I'm sorry, because I thought you might have insights as to why a student would speak out 20 years later. She's now in her early 30s. And whether you're super, uh, surprised by this and whether PE teachers are more likely than other teachers to engage in this alleged behavior. Okay. Before I read the... Um, the story of the teacher. Let me do my best to answer AJ's question here. Um, let me see. There were approximately 30,000 sexual assaults in 2021, if I'm not mistaken, by school teachers across America. I believe that was the running statistic, give or take a thousand or so. Given the mathematical probability that the, the that the vast majority of the people within K-12 schools, private schools, charter schools, we're, we're in that realm, okay? I'm not talking about higher ed, just K-12. Given the fact that the vast majority of the employees tend to be female, it just so happens that the vast majority of the sexual assaults are female. They typically are female teachers uh, having sex with male or female students. Of course, with all of the Sexual questioning and gender questioning and all of that stuff, people have to understand too that that in itself is its own form of sexual perversion, which is designed to make children more vulnerable so that they can be preyed on by predators who work within K 12 schools, whether that be teachers, administrators, counselors, other school staff, whatever it is. Uh, there are also plenty of 
handicapped, quote-unquote, students or special education students in particular that are preyed on because, again, if, if some of them come from broken homes, there's a higher likelihood that they might be more sexually promiscuous, in particular if they're, again, in middle school or high school age, of middle school or high school age. Uh, regarding physical education, I, I've always said this, which is why I never wanted to be a gym teacher because I thought the whole thing was weird. And every now and again, people would say, oh, you're a health education teacher. Do you also teach gym? And I said, I would say, no, I was a, I was a health education teacher in a classroom. I'm not a gym teacher. Big difference. Big difference between those professions. In fact, I'll go to my grave knowing that I've never taught a day of physical education in my life. I never did it. Um, even when I even when I taught high school, I, I approached the the phys ed teachers on day one when I showed up on v the very first day. I walked right up to them and I said, because the way that it was designed in the school where I was is the health teachers and the phys ed teachers were one and the same. So you had to teach both. It was like every other day on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would teach health. And then on Tuesday, Thursday, I would have to go to the gym and, and teach gym. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not taking my clothes off in front of other people because I'm not a weirdo. And I'm not, uh, and I'm not going to watch teenagers take their clothes off because I'm not a, because I'm not a weirdo. So I, I said, I'm not doing that. Um, I'm, I'm a school teacher in a classroom setting. And the phys ed teachers were fine with it. They said, 100%, you can take all our health classes in the classroom and we'll take all your PE classes. I said, great. Because I knew that they didn't want to teach health and they only wanted to teach PE. Uh, and I didn't want to teach PE and wasn't going to. That was, that was my line in the sand. It wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. And again, I was a health education teacher. Certified, bachelor's degree, the whole thing. So. Sexual assault when it comes to phys ed teachers is, I would say, uh, I'll put it this way. Mathematically, again, just given the numbers, I would say it's less likely for the reasons that you have more, more students who are witnesses in, in a smaller area. So the likelihood of you getting away with it is slim and none. If the, if the predator is actually considering trying to get away with a crime. But at the same time, there is more of a lax behavior that goes on among physical education teachers that is very inappropriate. Let me give you some examples. In middle school, there will be, um, well, I, I would put it this way. The locker rooms are notorious for bullying, harassment, and sexual assault. That happens just among the students themselves. That happens. Um, again, I, I come from a train of thought in a school of thought where I actually don't think physical education even needs to exist in schools. If you don't know how to do a push-up and a sit-up, you're an idiot. It, it's that simple. You're a fool. There are YouTube videos. There's endless exercise programs that exist online. Um, you know, there are still books out there about exercising. You, you don't need, you don't need physical education in school. I've 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 seen the research. I get it. You know, they say, well, yes, you do because it stimulates the brain, and then they're better in math class afterwards, and blah blah blah. 
all of that's overblown propaganda. The, the, the likelihood of physical and sexual abuse and verbal abuse that occurs within those environments is rampant. It's, it's constant. It's always been a constant thing, always. And the moment that a group of students in a locker room setting or anywhere in the multiple environments that typically take place in, you know, with a physical education environment or teacher or class, uh, the moment that there's a lack of supervision is the moment that there's likely to be a crime occurring somewhere. Here's where it gets a little shady from a staff standpoint. I've even written about this uh, before in, in previous books. I believe I wrote about it in Violence Among Students and School Staff, if I'm not mistaken, that there is a, a high likelihood that female gym teachers will be gay and that they, of course, as gay females and gym teachers are responsible for monitoring female gym classes in female locker rooms as females are taking their clothes off. This is a thing. This happens. It happened at the high school that I attended when I was a kid. And it's just something that, again, I even witnessed as a high school teacher that this is, I mean, this was something that, that occurred and I thought it was odd and I thought it was weird and I, I never understood it. Uh, there have been endless teachers all over the United States who have lost their jobs for being gay and monitoring uh, their, their same-sex class in a locker room setting, again, as, as being a gay gym teacher, uh, male and female. Someone will find out that, that the gym teacher is gay, usually a student, they'll have uh, suspicions about it, and then they'll go home and tell their parents, and then they'll say, well, wait a minute, they're watching us undress in the locker room. You know, is this, is this what's really supposed to be going on? And then, uh, you know, before you know it, complaints start to rain down on people, and then uh, sometimes they lose their jobs, sometimes they quit because of pressure, and a boatload of other reasons, I'm, I'm sure. But the business of, again, being a gym teacher there, there's a certain personality type that comes with it, and that personality type tends to be a dominating one. Not always, but, but certainly that, that uh, it's remarkably prevalent. I would say it's the vast majority, even again among females. Because again, you, you know, we, we have the stereotypical image of the loud male gym teacher with the whistle around his neck and the tight bike shorts and you know, whatever else. And that is real. I mean, stereotypes exist for a reason, and, uh, and that's a very real thing that does still occur. But there are very loud and obnoxious women who are also gym teachers, and they too, again, yell and scream and, and use the space around them, the larger spaces around them, to sort of have a, a, a domineering a dominating uh, personality and impact on students around them. So the, the, that's a very long explanation and a lot of rambling, I know. But the, the, short, the short answer is, yes, physical education teachers certainly engage in, in, in sexual behavior with, with, with students. 
Um, it might be comments that they make. It might even be allowing them to do particular things or suggesting they do particular things in their presence in a in sort of a predatory way, certainly, uh, without the child knowing exactly the motive that uh, the underlying motive or real motive that that said individual might have. For example, looking at middle school kids and telling them that they have to take showers and that they have to take observed showers or they have to take, uh, you know, monitored showers, things of that nature, or that they need to change their clothes all of the time and they need to be monitored by the, by the gym teacher. This is a lot of just weird stuff. Um, again, it's, it's not a profession that I've ever enjoyed. Um, I, never, I never understood it. I'm not saying everybody who's a gym teacher is a sexual predator. That's clearly not the case. I worked with some very good guys who knew what they were doing uh, in the past. Again, I was never a gym teacher, but you know they worked in the same building. But then, unfortunately, there are those that uh, that certainly engage in these kinds of behaviors. But again, a lot of them have a presence about them that is a dominating one and a very controlling presence, including again the female gym teachers themselves. So. I don't know if that answers his question, but uh, it's an excellent question, AJ. And I, again, I'm sorry if I didn't answer it, but there's a lot to it. And I would just say that there are more opportunities, perhaps, for for different kinds of abuse in and around a physical education class as to as opposed to say, you know, Spanish. <laughs> I mean. I you know in, in in any other class the likelihood of of certain things occurring is remarkably slim if not completely non-existent whereas in a physical education class it's more out in the open uh and even hinting at particular suggestions can be of a sexual nature and remarkably inappropriate and that kind of stuff happens all the time so uh so yeah there's there's that but but let me at least read through this story here cuz again it's it's terrible but at least they at least they got this guy again innocent until proven guilty but whatever the me too net is uh, is scooping up people even to this day and i find that fascinating and and again the reason why to answer this part of his question too the reason why an individual would all of these many years after the fact uh turn in somebody like this on on something like this you usually isn't because they're making it up. It's usually legitimate. But what they've done is, is they've suppressed it within them. Again, I'm not a psychiatrist, not trying to be one, but I understand basic human behavior. And if a person was assaulted as a child, in particular by an adult, they would suppress it and then carry it with them for X amount of years, and then maybe something else comes along in their life and they remember it again. Uh, maybe they remembered it this entire time, and they've finally built up the courage to actually come out and say something. So the timing of why a person does it is usually dependent on their maturity, their, their knowledge base, uh, what, what they've continued to learn about human behavior, what's right, what's wrong, all of that. And um, yeah, I, I would always encourage, regardless of the length of time, I would always encourage someone to come out and come forward on, on something like this. Re again, regardless of how long ago it occurred, 
Because again, the likelihood of this individual doing this, uh, this this Peter Michael Colombo, 55 years old of Redwood City, uh, California, the, the likelihood of him having done this to someone else during that 20-year time is remarkably high. Again, Joe Biden doesn't just perv on one kid. You know, he's molested endless children on film that we've all, you know, that we've all seen. And so, you know, predators don't just stop with one. So here's what it says. It says Palo Alto, Alto PE teacher charged with sexually assaulting student in 2001. Alleged incident occurred at locker room on Green Middle School campus. Uh, 20 years ago, police said Wednesday afternoon, the teacher, Peter Michael Colombo, 55, of Redwood City, was taken into custody on Wednesday after he self-surrendered to law enforcement in Palo Alto, police stated in the press release. The Palo Alto Unified Administrators notified police in late January after receiving an email reporting Colombo allegedly sexually assaulted a 11-year-old sixth grader in the locker room at the former Jordan Middle School in 2001. The school, which had been, named, which had been renamed Green, is located at 750 North Cal, uh, California Avenue. The assault allegedly took place during the 2001-2002 school year. District administrators immediately placed the teacher on administrative leave. An investigation by police in the school district found that the girl who is now in her 30s was allegedly assaulted during the lunch period. Uh, the Santa Clara County District Attorney's Office filed one felony charge of aggravated sexual assault of a child against Colombo on Monday, and a Santa Clara County Superior Court judge signed a warrant for his arrest Tuesday, according to the Palo Alto Police. Uh, he was booked into the jail. Let's see. In a statement, the Unif uh, Palo Alto Unified Administrator said that the district was notified of Colombo's arrest on Wednesday. Colombo had not been allowed on any school campus since. He was placed on administrative leave in January. The district worked collaboratively with police investigators, it said. PAUSD fully supports the PAPD request to report any information that people may have about the allegations and to report any inappropriate personal experiences, blah, 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 blah. You know, the other reason that this bothers me was, again, because I worked with people just like this. If, in fact, this guy did this, and I have no reason to believe that he didn't, uh, although I haven't seen any, I haven't seen anything of, of what, the, what the woman is alleging, but I've worked with people like this and nothing happens. Absolutely nothing. I mean, this was my whistleblowing experience in a nutshell. I was coming to administrators about people like this who were working in the same building, and administrators swept it under the rug and covered it up. Well, that makes them complicit in a crime. It makes them complicit in a felony and a sexual crime, which, again, not a lawyer, like to think I am sometimes, but doesn't that mean that they too could become sexual predators of a, of a particular nature or be, or, or be charged with a sexual crime themselves for covering it up? You know, I don't know. It certainly seems like it. But people need to speak out more about these kinds of teachers and the administrators that cover it up. Again, don't just let the teachers off the hooks, you know, that are engaging in these kinds of behaviors. Uh, 
administrators need to find out about this too. And if they themselves don't do what they're supposed to do, then they should be held accountable also every single time. There are administrators in jail, as I'm talking to you right now, for covering up these kinds of things. They didn't actually engage in the assault. They didn't actually have anything to do with it outside of hearing about it, being handed proof about it, and, uh, and then covering it up. Well, you can't do that. And um, hey, like I said, if the Me Too movement is, is capturing these people and, and picking them up you know, this many years later, great. Absolutely great. I'm, I'm all for it. Here's another one. Again, sorry it's in the, in the same kind of thing here, but it's titled this. Uh, this comes from Fox News. My apologies for the, for the news source. But it says at least 135 teachers, aides, charged with child sex crimes this year alone in 2020. And it says of the 102 of those cases, or 76%, involved alleged sex crimes against students. So, yeah. Again, just because they're allegations doesn't necessarily mean that anything happens. And we know that we're living in a time where Bolshevik tactics take precedent, so people are falsely accused all of the time of these kinds of things. Um, but they've got some charts here on this, on this news-related thing, and it says, the 135 educators included 117 teachers, 11 teachers' aides, and seven substitute teachers. So just sort of a percentage breakdown there. Of course, the vast majority are teachers themselves, and then substitute teachers are, are the least likely to do it, but they, they still do it themselves too. Uh, here's another one. This comes from Hawaii, and this is from The Blaze. Hawaii teacher bragged about sex with 13-year-old boy during school lunch breaks. Shared child porn with fellow teachers, says federal agents. Hawaii teacher shared child porn with a fellow teacher and bragged about having sex with a 13-year-old boy during school lunch breaks, according to federal prosecutors. Alden Bunag, Benang, I don't know was arrested on Wednesday by FBI agents at a, I'm not going to be able to pronounce that, uh, says the Honolulu FBI at the name of their school, and he was charged with distributing child pornography. Public school teacher reportedly sent more than 3,300 messages and other teach, uh, to another teacher in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, included in the messages were photos and videos of child porn. According to federal court documents, the teacher in Philadelphia was arrested in October. Uh, the documents added that Boonang claimed to have sex with the boy at the school during lunch breaks and described the boy as a former student and knew that he was a minor at the time. Uh, court records said that he confessed to law enforcement that he recorded his sexual encounters with a 13-year-old boy who was a former student and sent the videos to others through the Telegram Messenger app. So the dude, again, was, was bragging about it. See, here's the thing. Th this kind of stuff is not going to get better with time. It's going to get worse. And with the policies, diversity and inclusion, and pride this and pride that, all they're doing is normalizing this kind of behavior. They're normalizing in particular, and more specifically, the precursors to these kinds of behaviors. They're setting the foundation. Um, they're making the bed 
so to speak, in order for particular things like this to happen down the line and within their own environment. But again, let's remember, these are proactive environments, ladies and gentlemen. They're proactive. You know, proactive and we are proactive against all kinds of crimes and uh, we're proactive in preventing them and we are never reactive. The exact opposite is true in each and every single case. They are reactive to the bone. They are never proactive, and they are, they are the problem, without a doubt. Okay. Okay, now what I want to do is I want to shift gears here, and I, I want to revisit a subject that I, I mentioned last week regarding, again, the lax certification when it comes to teachers because of the teacher shortages and, and all of that stuff. Uh, it, it, as I, as I mentioned, a lot of these certification tests had to have changed and have to be getting worse with time in particular, depending on the state in which someone is attempting to become certified to actually still want to be a teacher. But this right here sums it up, I think rather nicely. This comes from the Liberty Sentinel and it's titled coming soon to Minnesota Teachers must demonstrate a Marxist worldview to obtain their teaching license. So it, it pretty much lays it out right there. Uh, this is a lengthy article, but it's worth reading, although it's not too long. Um, anyway, anywho, let me just get into this because it, it, again, it puts specific names to this kind of stuff, which again isn't going to get better, and it's going to depend again on, on the state, but these states that are moving further and further left into the full-blown Bolshevik avenue, this is their approach, and this is their playbook. So it says this. It says, quote, Marxist ideology and practices are coming to Minnesota schools dis disguised as new teacher licensing rules. The Minnesota Teacher Licensing Board is called the Professional Educators Licensing and Standards Board, or here comes the acronym, P-E-L-S-B, PELSB. I'll tell you what, acronyms in the education business drive me up the wall. There are too many, and most people don't even know what they mean, which again is indicative of the entire business. Uh, it continues, it says, each board member was appointed by Governor Waltz and PELSB is fast-tracking new teacher licensing requirements. The new standards will embed basic Marxist principles and practices such as critical race theory, fluid sexual identity, and gender politics into all Minnesota schools. Standard Marxist practices and dogma divide people into opposing groups so that students and teachers must view themselves not as individuals, but as members of groups, oppressor groups, or oppressed groups. And oppressed groups must be liberated from the exploitation of their oppressors. When formally adopted, the new requirements must be met to become or remain licensed to teach in Minnesota, including teaching in early childhood family education from prenatal on and adult basic education, rule draft RD4615. Uh, the key language is highlighted in yellow. It says, since non-public schools generally hire licensed teachers, these standards will apply to them as well. Below are some of the new licensing standards. We have bracketed our commentary on the meaning and significance of the standard. It says the following, quote, teachers must 
help students develop social identities based upon their social grouping. And then they said group identities will usurp individual identities. Correct. Their next bullet, I tell you what, I'm just going to get past their, um, their anecdotes on it. And I'm just going to read the actual bullet points. The bullet points then say uh, comply with the construct of mental identity formation. Incorporate social and emotional learning into all classes. Understand systemic trauma, including racism and micro and macro aggressions. Be inclusive to reflect diversity and cultures. Fully affirm and incorporate identity politics into the school, including race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, religious beliefs, economic status, and ethnicity. Focus on implicit bias and systemic racism, including white privilege. Monet, uh, monet, uh, sorry, prioritize. I'm dyslexic. Prior, I'm not really. Prioritize materials from traditionally marginalized voices that offer diverse perspectives on race, culture, language, gender, sexual identity, religion, nationality, migra- migrant, refugee status, and other identities transitionally, I'm sorry, traditionally silenced or omitted from the curriculum, unquote. My God, that was a mouthful. No wonder we're not teaching anybody anything. No wonder we're last in math. It continues, it says, teach materials that empower learners to be agents of social change and promote equity. Train students in social activism through severe, I'm sorry, through service learning. Uh, Connect students with local and global political activists. There you go. Understand that Minnesota's laws were created by oppress, uh, created to oppress by race, class, gender, sexual orientation, language, and nationality. That's a big one. That's that's bold. That's rather bold. If anybody needed any more proof, ladies and gentlemen, to homeschool in the state of Minnesota, this article should be all you need to know. Not to mention not wanting to be a school teacher in the state of Minnesota, let alone an administrator, because you have to carry all this out. And if you don't agree with it, well, you're fired. And then it continues, and it says, understand white supremacy and how racism operates institutionally. Understand ethnocentrism and Eurocentrism as undermining equity. And then it says, every CRT and gender-fluid buzzword is embedded into the standards, and they are required to be incorporated into the instruction. Italian Marxist Antonio Gramisi, if I said that correctly, said that people are trapped in a prison house of language, quote-unquote, because language determines how people think. He emphasized that we must change the language of the culture in order to usher in the Marxist revolution. In summary, the the new licensing standards will enforce every Minnesota teacher and school to become Marxist revolution indoctrination centers. It's time the public is informed about what is going on. And that was written by Alan and Julie Quist. So I'm not sure what I can possibly add to that. I think it speaks for itself. I remember years and years and years ago when the state of Colorado legalized marijuana use. I said to myself, and I I even wrote it in my books, I said, if anybody's considering being a teacher in Colorado, I would choose another state to be a teacher in. Because when you have to deal with drug use in a school building around high teachers and high administrators, people aren't going to be thinking very clearly. That's going to be a problem. Things like this are equally as problematic, if not more problematic, because again, here too, 
you're brainwashing the mind. You're, you're completely taking over the time and energy that should be put into learning the truth about everything. And you're brainwashing them into believing things that are not real. That's it. These are not schools anymore, ladies and gentlemen. They are prison camps. They are indoctrination camps. They are brainwashing centers. They are mental institutions. That's what they are. There is no other way around it. I know that there are some good schools out there that do not do these things. I know that. And those, and those, those schools are great. You know, they tend to be very small, very private schools where, again, you're, 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 not, uh, you're not criticized for asking questions. You can bring the truth to bear. And maybe even, heaven forbid, a teacher actually learns something from a student because the student and the parents at the home know more about something than the teacher does. But this right here is such a broad brushstroke and an accurate one about what's going on in Minnesota that this is, this is flat out making California look like Kansas. Uh, and I'm not even sure that's an accurate description based on the state of affairs right now, but, but there's that. I want to end with just one jab-related thing, and I would encourage people again to not shut up about the jabs when it comes to keeping this away from anybody, in particular children and newborns. Six months old, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to hear the devil herself. This is Rochelle Walensky, the uh, CDC director, and her words on how excited she is that those under the age of five to six months old can now receive the death shots. COVID-19 vaccines are now available for children under five. With this recent authorization from FDA and recommendation from CDC, nearly 20 million children are now able to get vaccinated against COVID-19. I know many parents with very young children have been anticipating this day. We now know, based on rigorous scientific review, that the vaccines available here in the United States can be used safely and effectively in children under five. Vaccinating young children is a critical opportunity to protect them against hospitalization and death from COVID-19. Parents, I strongly encourage you to get your children vaccinated. If you have questions, talk to your child's provider to learn more about the benefits of this vaccine. We have taken another important step together in our fight against COVID-19 by making safe and effective vaccines available for our little ones. I hope all parents will take advantage of these life-saving vaccines and protect their children. She has a smile on her face from ear to ear. She is a psychopath. She is not a medical doctor. She does not care about the profession nor human life. She is a psychopath. She is completely removed from reality. End of story. It has been proven under oath, even by Anthony Fauci himself, that there is no scientific proof whatsoever that these shots work, in particular with children. They don't work with older adults. They don't work with middle-aged adults. They don't work with... Uh, any generation of any age of any human being. It is a eugenics poison. It's a biological weapon. And ladies and gentlemen, we had better pray 
because the number of kids that are going to be dead in their parents' own hands because their parents are brain-dead, stupid, and brainwashed and probably jabbed themselves are going to be dishing this out to six-month-olds and five-year-olds. They're going to be giving this to their children before they enter elementary school, and their kids will die. And we think the education profession is going to last? No, it won't. It won't. Now they've, now, now they've done it. This was their last step. It took them a year to get to a six-month-old, a full year. And that, that's it. Still emergency use authorization. There's no FDA approval. There never will be because they don't want people to again know the ill effects. The ill effects are already out there. The evidence is unequivocal. You, you cannot deny it. These people should be hung by the neck until dead. That's my final word on it. It's going to be a big week, I bet. Lots of, lots of interesting stuff continuing to happen, but we had better pray for these kids because this is not good. Uh, I'll catch you on Wednesday, everybody. God bless. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.